Good morning, everyone. This morning's reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. Um, so I'll give you a moment to find that in your Bibles if you want to do that or follow along on the screen. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labour pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the firstfruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Good morning. Um, this morning, uh, Jared was down to breach, um, but was unable to make it this morning, which means uh, you're, I'm, I'm reading this for the second time, uh, and uh, you'll be hearing it for the first. But uh, he's written something very helpful, I think, on a reflection on a great, uh, a great carol, and drawing upon surely one of the greatest chapters of the New Testament. There is so much richness in Romans 8, of which we're only going to touch on the verses read to us. Uh, thank you, Deanne. Uh, now, I don't know if you've seen the video going around the last couple of years of a little boy opening his Christmas present. Uh, the parents wanted to play a little trick on him and see his response when their present to him was unwrapped. It was an avocado. Uh, now, I've seen other videos of spoiled kids getting cars for Christmas, Lamborghinis, all that kind of stuff, privilege, uh, and crying because they got a Ferrari when they wanted a Lamborghini. Man. I don't know what your uh, kids, if you've got kids, their Christmas list are looking like. My kids wrote, this is me speaking, my kids wrote a Christmas list. We said, just go, go write some stuff, Google some stuff, write it out. Out came a list of 50 things. We're doing some expectation management as we speak. <laughs> uh, but when this particular boy uh, in the story, in that video, unwraps the present and says, an avocado, thanks, while his words were grateful, you could tell he was faking being happy. You'd fake being happy, wouldn't you? I feel like we've all been this little boy during Christmas, in the name of the perfect Christmas, gritting our teeth, putting on an Oscar-winning performance, thanks for the socks, Dad, and trying to show joy when all we feel is stressed and weary and just going through the motions. I lost my point there. There we go. Uh, for some of us, holiday, uh, holiday, a holiday like this might cause us to think of the people we can't celebrate with, the broken those that have lost relationships, uh, those that are in strained relationships. And being completely transparent here, this is Jared writing, uh, this week I lost a family friend and yesterday my stepdad lost his father. So I feel like a bit of an emotional wreck uh, as, uh, as kind of uh, we approach this Christmas season. The carol we're focusing on today is helpful 
in liberating us into the truth and reality that we live in a weary world, a broken world, and yet there is still a thrill of hope in it. Both Romans 8 and our wonderful carol today join these two things together like nothing else can. Now, it mentions the we- a weary world. Uh, I don't know about you, but I find that comforting to acknowledge that, yes, there is a weary world and I am weary. We get to the end of a long year and we just feel tired and we carry our burdens into this joyful holiday and there's kids around. That's me speaking, my goodness. <laughs> Has the worries of this world claimed our joy and magic of Christmas? Can we truly sing the weary world rejoices and mean it. Now, if I haven't met you before, my name is Jared, (laughs) um, and I'm a student minister here. And today, as we explore Romans 8 alongside the carol, O Holy Night, my hope would be that we will not only find the key to our joy in the hope of Jesus this Christmas, but that we would grow into people who experience true joy in the midst of our weariness. Being a weary world, encouraged to rejoice will take more than our own strength. Like you've just got to sort of grin and bear through the weariness. No, the gospel gives us something more than that. And so I'm going to pray for God's help as we unpack this message. Heavenly Father, we lay before you the burdens of our hearts. You know the weight each of us are carrying into this Christmas season, the weariness we feel, and we thank you that you extend out hope to us in our weariness and pray that we would experience its soothing nature now as we explore its meaning. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, both some structure. Uh, we're going to use the lyrics of O Holy Night to help us explore Romans 8. So do keep Romans 8 uh, open in front of you, uh, whether it's an app or a Bible. Uh, we're going to touch on the state of the world. If we look at this, uh, this structure here, we're going to look at the state of the world, the effect Jesus had on that state, and our response. The carol beautifully sums up the gospel story in these few lyrics. They, ah, these lyrics, yes. The weary world, the weary soul, and a thrill of hope. Uh, so we're going to walk through the, um, uh, the carol with Romans 8 in front of us. So to kick off our exploration of the weary world, Paul seems to make a drastic statement in verse 18. Uh, read it there with me. Uh, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Uh, There are two ways you could make that statement, I think, uh, that the the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed. One could be uh, that that your sufferings are really small uh, and and you're able to look forward to to, to better things. Uh, Is that Paul's example? Well, if you look at Paul's example, and he actually expands upon it in 2 Corinthians, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was pelted with stones, three times I was shipwrecked, I spent a night and day in the open sea, I've been constantly on the move, I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have laboured and toiled, and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked and besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Does that sound like he's minimized or has small sufferings? No. So how is it that he can write, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us? 
The only other way he could make that statement is if the weight of that glory surpasses his experience of suffering. And so as we approach this Christmas, even weary perhaps, our hope this morning is that, and I say, Jared and I, our hope this morning is that the weight of this glory would surpass and that you would experience the thrill of hope even in weariness. Now, what's interesting is that Paul is encouraging a unique perspective here in Romans, one that fleshes out uh, in the, that he fleshes out in the rest of the passage, and one which our carol is highlighting too. It's that while our weariness and our struggles may be great, and we might feel like it pins us down and sucks the life out of us, our joy can always, always be found in the glory of Christ being revealed to us and in us. Verse 19, for the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's children to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it. Now, the Bible doesn't shy away from saying that this world is harsh, it's tiring, it can even feel pointless. If you read Ecclesiastes, uh, you'll see the author of that uh, wisdom book say meaningless, meaningless many times. But Paul states that we exist in a broken world, constantly troubled by death and decay. And we don't need too much convincing to agree with Paul here. Now, globally, we hear about the conflict between Palestine and Israel. Nationally, we experience the cost of living crisis. Personally, we experience the breakdown of relationships and the loss of loved ones. They are three levels of experiencing hardship and weariness. This world is one where beauty fades and loveliness decays. It is a dying world but it is waiting for its liberation from all of this. And the lyrics of the carol go, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Uh, The carol and the gospel speak deeply of our reality to help us see things as they really are. Now, I don't know about you, but I've not used the word pining recently. Anyone else? That could be weird, actually. But I think it's most, the most important word in this line of the carol because the world has not always been in a state of sin and error. And while it has long been in this state, it wasn't like that in its creation. And therefore, it pines for what it once had. It grieves and misses it. When God created this world and everything in it, it was good, very good. But when humanity wanted this goodness for themselves... They cut it off from God, the source of goodness, and sin entered the world. And this death and decay that we experience is like a constant open wound left by that separation. And we experience the effects of this. And therefore, as Paul says, we eagerly wait for the children of God to be revealed. Because we do not experience all the goodness that this world was made for, And every time we do experience goodness, it's fleeting. We can't experience the good without experiencing its decay alongside it. Good family memories are followed up with arguments and discipline. Important charity work can be followed up by financial stress or even misuse of money. Beautiful relationships harshly cut short. And so we, along with all creation, eagerly await for a time when the good can be experienced without its decay. When we sing of Jesus' birth at Christmas, it's not just any birth, it's the night of our dear Saviour's birth, the one who will liberate the world 
from its weariness. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Now, part two has this weighty uh, line, till he appeared, till Christ appeared and the soul felt its worth. Isn't that an incredible line? Till Christ appeared and the soul felt its worth. It's like everything clicked in when we see Christ. And verse 20 speaks of the revelation of Jesus. So follow with me here in your Bibles uh, in part two of this sermon. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labour pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the firstfruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, one of the only long-standing traditions in uh, my family, Jared's family, is that whoever is in our hometown for Christmas goes to my grandma's house for a big seafood spread and round two of the presents. I'd be up for that. Uh, most of my family doesn't like seafood. This is me speaking. Uh, most of my family doesn't like seafood. I find that very disappointing. Uh, so, uh, don't give me old prawns, by the way, if you want to do that afterwards. Anyway, so lunchtime uh, would typically look like this. Uh, we open the door, we rush in, we say hi to Grandma, give her a big hug, sit down for all of 10 seconds, and then start asking if we can open her presents. Does that sound familiar? Or even grab a soft drink from her fridge and go and swim in her pool. You see, one of my Grandma's favourite parts of Christmas was seeing her grandkids, and she longed for that time to come especially today when all of us are across the globe and seeing her becomes less frequent. Uh, she can't wait to see us again. And so everyone's longing for this day. Uh, the kids are longing to kind of raid under the Christmas tree and what's in the fridge and use the pool. And Grandma is longing to see her family. This kind of dynamic and even the selfishness sometimes of our longing, we see in verse 21 to 23. Paul's noting that the groaning and weariness we experience is an aspect of life which, we all, uh, which all of creation experiences. Therefore, all of creation is in a state of groaning for its liberation from decay. However, verse 23 shows there's an extra layer to this groaning which Christians experience, a pining which is directed to something more precious. So verse 23, not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption. Now, I find this verse particularly helpful because uh, sometimes we feel that we're just meant to kind of like, oh, we've got hope, so it sort of just does away with kind of the suffering. But, but Paul joins these two things together. There is a type of groaning that we Christians experience. It's a groaning that's mixed with the Spirit's work in us, as we wait, not just for the groaning to stop, but as we wait for something much more glorious, which will cause the groaning to stop, the redemption of our bodies. Now, prior to this message, Paul had just been speaking of the glory of adoption into the family of God, that we can call this holy God our Father, that we are heirs of the kingdom and co-heirs with Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. God loved us so much 
the worth of our soul was so great to Him that He gave us Jesus. Let's just pause on that. God considered us worthy of sending Christ into the world to live for us, to die for us, and to be raised to new life, that same new life that we will experience in full. So when there's times when you are weary and that weariness sinks down from your mind and into your heart and you start saying to yourself, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, reverse that script by the promise we find here that the soul has felt its worth when He appeared, that God considered you worthy of this Jesus, of life to the full, of being co-heirs with Christ, not that you've got a ticket to kind of like the nosebleed section, but that you are made co-heirs with Jesus. My goodness. Are we starting to feel kind of the tipping of, uh, of, the, of the suffering and the glory to come? Now, willingly, Jesus subjected himself to weakness as he was born in a stable, experienced the decay of this world and allowed himself to tire and grow weary and then finally enter into glory. Now, without this holy night that we sing about, that we read about, there would be no dawn, no end to the weariness, no end to the death we experience every day. It's through this birth, through Jesus' birth, that we can know our God who empathizes with us in our weakness because He suffered and through His death, we can know that one day our suffering and weariness we'll die too. And then we will enter into glory, a glory that we have begun to taste now. We were lost in our mess, corroding in the decay without any hope of it ending, till He appeared and the soul felt its worth. And so we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the dawn when our bodies will be redeemed out of our weary states, it can be easy to lose sight of the good things, can't it? Particularly when, you know, walking around Westfields, there's lots of good things around you. You spend, you know, an hour trying to find a park. Uh, you're kind of just desperately looking for some inspiration for, you know, that guy that you find hard to buy for. Particularly dads, I find dads very hard to buy for. It's easy to lose sight of the good things, of the ultimate things, when we're surrounded by stress, weariness and anxiety, like a thick fog covering the mountain views, our perspective or priorities can obstruct us from seeing what is truly beautiful. We focus on our personal failures rather than how much we've grown over the years. We stress over exams and forget to look at how much we've learned. Financial struggles consume our thoughts over every cent and we lose sight of some of the invaluable aspects to life. Our weariness can cause us to think we'll always be tired and we forget to see our inward groaning is a sign that we weren't supposed to be like this. So do pay attention to your weariness. Don't overlook it. It is a sign of you being part of this broken world and its effect on you, and yet it's also a sign that we are made for something more. That our purpose is not to be tired and stressed. That our purpose is for glory. What is draining you of energy at the moment? What is causing you stress? Pay attention to it and direct it towards the hope and let the thrill of that hope overcome you. 
that you might, like Paul, consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed in us. May we find true joy this Christmas, true hope. Now, finally, let's let's explore this thrill of hope a little more. So, uh, from verse 24, we read, Now, in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Has anyone nailed patience here? Great, we'll keep listening. All right, over the years, our view of hope has gotten muddied as people misapply it or weaken its meaning. I could say, I hope I'll be more financially secure next year. And it sounds nice, but probably wouldn't happen unless my circumstances and actions change. I could say, I hope a unicorn walks through the door and gives us all magical powers. And you'd probably all suggest I step down from the stage because I've gone insane. Yeah. Uh, Paul even throws in one more example by saying, who hopes for what he sees? After all, I don't need to hope it'll be a warm day because I'm already feeling it. Actually, I'm very grateful that it's uh, not yesterday. So what makes this, this thrill of hope, of the gospel, of what Paul speaks about, of which the carol proclaims, different from those other kinds of hope? Well, I see this hope as a confident expectation of a guaranteed future. That feels stronger than the other hopes I mentioned. A confident expectation of a guaranteed future. Uh, We all put our hope in something. Tim Keller puts it like this. Human beings are hope-shaped creatures. The way you live now is completely controlled by what you believe about your future. I think it's an astute observation. Look at the moments in in your life when you have lost a sense of hope. Surely they map onto seasons that we struggle to put one step in front of the other. But give us hope and we keep moving. Now, this kind of hope that Tim Keller points to, that the Gospels point to, speak to what our life is built upon, where we're directed, and we are called as spirit-filled creatures to have this hope and to keep looking to the glory as we taste it more and more. Now, this is an assured future that we have in the Gospel. Uh, Paul declares in verse 25 that in this hope of adoption, of redemption, we were saved. So we're not just hoping that we will be saved, we were saved. And we live in a weary and decaying world, but because Jesus appeared, we can have this confident expectation of a guaranteed future where we will be redeemed and our weariness over. Revelation 21 says, if we were to skip to the end and Jesus gives us the end picture... Then I saw, this is John the Apostle writing from Revelation 21, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. If we did not have Jesus enter into our broken world, then this future would offer little hope, but be just be a fairy tale. But this hope has teeth. This hope has been revealed to us in that stable in Bethlehem 
in the Lord Jesus, the one who we praise in our carols as we lead up to Christmas. This night that we celebrate, particularly in the song that we sing, O Holy Night, is divine because Christ was born to us. Paul gives us one more thing. We hope in the resurrection of our bodies, of the end to this weariness of of the world, and when we hope in what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Now, Jared wouldn't know this, but because he's younger than 40, but you know, now that I've clocked over that mark, I'm, I'm starting to actually appreciate this more and more. I don't know how you're feeling about the redemption of your body, but it's a good thing to long for, isn't it? Like a child's hope for a present they've been asking for, uh, we long for the redemption of our bodies. Uh, now, as I said, we all struggle with patience, so what does this patience look like? How do we, how do we uh, practice this? Well, uh, Carol, Carol beautifully steps out two key responses to this hope, two key ways to keep moving forward in faith. That's in the second verse. Firstly, truly He taught us to love one another. When we know of our weary experience of life and that Jesus has come to give us hope in the midst of our weariness, it ought to create in us a desire to draw other weary people to that same home and hope. I think of it like one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. This hope nourishes us and gives us a life that brings us through our struggles because we know it has an end. But we're also surrounded by weary people at work, on the train, in our community, and in this very building today. When I worked at a local market, there was an older man who was selling resin, and it was clear that he had lived a rough life. Uh, We openly shared with each other our joys and struggles, and eventually he asked me why I'm so different from others when I haven't had an easy life. He said, it's obvious in most people that their happiness is fake but there seems to be a genuine joy in you despite all the things you've gone through. This man knew my struggles, but could see a joy in my life which spoke to him of a greater hope. And I could tell him he wanted nothing more than a piece of that same joy. In the lead up to Christmas, we ought to keep our eyes and our hearts open to the people around us in need of a hope which doesn't fall through their fingers, a hope that can support them as they grow weary and tired. These people are potential brothers and sisters who are in desperate need of this assured hope. These are people who could very well meet tonight at the Christmas feast. Let us pray for them. Let us get alongside them. Let us share life and weary life with them and hold out the thrill of hope to them. Uh, We could multiply stories around this. One of the privileges of being a pastor here Uh, is that I get to see how people are getting alongside others, are caring for them richly. Sometimes that looks like uh, admonishing and speaking truth, even calling people to repentance. Other times it looks like tangible objects and blessings to help people. But the stories are beautiful. Let us hold out the thrill of hope to each other. As we, uh, what what does the line say in the carol? Truly he taught us to love one another. May that be ever more true of us as the people of God. Secondly, another, another line in the chorus that speaks to how we might practice these things. In grateful chorus, raise we. 
Uh, when I was younger, going to church for Christmas was the last thing I wanted to do. I had just gotten several new toys to play with, <laughs> I love that, and I was expecting to leave them at home and spend an hour sitting in a seat listening to someone talk. I sympathise. But as I said earlier, it can be easy for us to lose sight of the good things like this real hope when we're surrounded by all the things that make us stressed or weary or anxious. When we gather together as adopted members of God's family, we share in one another's weariness and lift each other's eyes above the fog to the glorious future that we're heading towards. So share in each other's joys and sorrows, rejoice and mourn with one another, encourage each other in the hope we have so that we can joyfully persevere together in the confident hope we share and gratefully raise your voices to Jesus, who entered into our weariness as he saved us. Because, brothers and sisters, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. As we come to sing this song again, uh, may we kind of capture the richness of these words, and have our hearts and eyes drawn to the glory of Jesus, for the thrill of hope breaks through our weariness, even as we stumble and fall, we are lifted on wings like eagles. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we gratefully raise our weary voices at the hope you have given us in this weary and challenging world. We are grateful that our hope is not in what is fleeting or wishful, but is a confident expectation of a guaranteed future. Lift up our eyes this Christmas from the stress and the burdens we carry to the glorious morn you have brought us on that divine night. Fill our hearts with this joy, we pray, in your Son's saving name. Amen.